the story is told of a young child who decided that they wanted to play the flute. Now, if you've ever, if you have children and they decide on a particular musical instrument, you know that when they first begin, you don't want to invest a whole lot of money in the instrument. Because often the excitement of playing begins to fade in the monotony of practice and learning and all of those aspects of learning an instrument. And so normally what you will do is find a way <clears throat> to maybe rent the instrument, find a old used instrument, some way so that you're not having to invest a huge amount of money up front until you discover whether or not the child really wants to learn. Well, this particular child decided again that they wanted to learn the flute. But the parents didn't want to spend the several hundred dollars that, was in, that were involved in buying a decent flute. <clears throat> so the child's aunt, excuse me, <clears throat> the child's aunt who loved playing the flute, had played it for many years, and who had just happened to buy a brand new flute, quite an expensive one, had an older flute, and it was also expensive, but not quite as good and not quite as fancy and, and all the things. I don't know what makes a flute fancy, but it wasn't quite that, but it was still very expensive. So the aunt said to the child, I'll let you borrow it. I'll let you use it. It's yours to use until you determine whether or not you really enjoy playing the flute. It was told to the child the value of the flute and everything seemed to be going fine. One day, the child was encouraged to go and to practice. It was a day when the sun was shining. It was a day when friends were outside playing and the child did not want to practice. But mom and dad said, you know what? You need to go in there and practice your music. Practice, I hated these things. Practice the scales. Do, 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 do. Now, I don't know how to do it on a flute. I know nothing about a flute. Great instrument. I just know nothing about them. Well, the child went into their bedroom and they were sitting there and already kind of in a bit of a bad mood and began to play on the flute, but things just weren't going right and the flute was squealing and the fingers weren't quite hitting the right spots and it was just getting down and irritating. And the child takes this quite expensive, significant instrument, and begins to pound the bed out of frustration. Now, as soon as you hear that, what's your reaction? How do you respond to that? 
What do you want to say to that child as they take this wonderful gift, this expression of kindness and this wonderful instrument and just begins pounding it? And in the process, dents it and damages it. Well, I know the first reaction that I have is to say, what ingratitude. I understand immaturity and I understand frustration. But to take something that was given with that kind of kindness and with that kind of value and to use it and to respond in this way demonstrates such ingratitude. The child had to call the aunt and explain what had happened. And the aunt was loving and kind and said, you're more valuable to me than the instrument, but I'm hurt by what happened. The child would have to pay for the damage that was done and to have it repaired. The whole situation was just an expression of ingratitude and a lack of Now, fortunately, in this particular story, as we go through, the the child learned to play the flute. And many years later, when they were up and they were before the audience and they were playing the flute, the child would take some time in the middle of the concert and say, I want everyone to know, do you see this flute? This flute was given to me by my aunt. And I want to express and declare my thanks for what was done. Now, the reason why I tell that story, the reason why I tell it, and it's somewhat made up, somewhat true, a little of both, it's a bit of a parable, is because when you hear that story and you hear that event where the child begins to take that flute and hit it against the furniture and hit it against the bed, there is just something inside of you that immediately says, that's not right. That's not the way you're supposed to respond. That's not an appropriate response to the goodness and kindness and generosity of a person and the value of the thing that was given to you. We look at that and say, that just shouldn't happen. When we hear the opposite in the praising of the ant, we say, but that is appropriate. The idea behind that story, that parable, is that there are actions in our lives which clearly demonstrate our gratitude. As I was thinking this week, I wanted to call it living thanksgiving or action thanksgiving or activity thanksgiving. 
a way that I express to the one who was so kind the value of what they did in my life and express back to them the gratitude. Now, you remember as we began this whole series talking about Thanksgiving, the first thing we said was that Thanksgiving, particularly at the biblical times and as the scripture presents it, is not just a feeling and it's not just the event that happens between the person who receives and the person that gives, that often in that world of slaves and and kings and lords and all the rest that existed in the biblical times, that often there was no way to appropriately respond in a reciprocal gift. And so the way that you did Thanksgiving was not only to have a feeling of gratitude, but also to proclaim it to tell others of the wonder of what this person did and how kind and good they were. Last week, Eric talked about Thanksgiving and he talked about in some ways the relational aspect of our Thanksgiving as believers based on the relationship that was accomplished for us through what Christ did in his death and the covenant that was established. And all throughout the scriptures, Thanksgiving is in that covenantal aspect. It's part of our relationship. And Eric mentioned how it's important not just to be aware that we are to give thanks, but to be involved in ways that remind us of the things for which we are to give thanks. But this morning in dealing with the theology, I want to focus particularly on this that God's timeless faithfulness compels us, motivates us, encourages us, drives us towards a living thanksgiving. Ways that we live out our gratitude to God. Now, one of the things we need to understand is that God is timelessly faithful. He is faithful in all of the times of our lives. He has been faithful in the past, and we can talk about our individual lives and his past faithfulness, or we can talk about in theological terms. God is faithful now in our lives as he works out his purposes in our lives and the events and in the, the molding and guiding and directing of our hearts and our minds. And he will in the future be faithful. And so as we begin to think, we think in terms of this, that God is faithful and loving in his past actions. We can look at that in a theological sense. And we sang about it this morning as Debbie picked the choruses that she did that talked about that we have this relationship. We have this certainty of God's faithfulness. Why? Because he was willing to take upon himself flesh. He was willing to live in our lives and know what that is like. He was willing to die on a cross, but even more so, he was resurrected from the grave. And the same God who did that is the same God that is active in our lives today. But we can think about personal faithfulness. That God is faithful in my individual lives. 
those that went to seminary when I was in seminary, almost every couple I knew had a story of how the money was running out. They didn't know where their next meal was going to come from. They would go down to the mailbox, open up their mailbox, and in there would be a check for the amount that they needed in order to pay bills or to have food this week or things like that. We're going to have a congregational meeting talking about a difficult time that we as a church are facing. But what we begin to understand is that God, sorry, God is faithful in his past actions. We can remember as a church the times that God came through and provided. And so we know that and we hold on to that in our own church history. We see it in the lives of others. Maybe not the deliverance from a tough situation, but we find people being sustained in the middle of struggle, in the middle of difficulty. And we say, look at how God was faithful. And we thank God for his faithfulness. I could tell you story after story. We don't have time this morning of the faithfulness that we saw in Louisiana after Hurricane Katrina. God didn't turn the storm away, but we saw his faithfulness and his sufficiency and his providence over and over again. Take a moment just this morning. Where have you seen God's faithfulness like that? Where has he come through? And not only that, God is faithful and loving in his present actions. What he's doing now in our lives, this very day, this very moment, this very point in my life, God is being faithful. And as I was thinking about that, I just kind of thought about some of those things that if we took time, we could say, you know what? God is faithful right now. Wow, keep doing that. Sorry, let's try this again. We can think about the fact that and give God praise for the impact of God's word in our lives. I was doing some reading this week and came across a particular passage in terms of God's goodness and kindness. And I thought as I was reading that, you know what, God? Yes, that is true. And you see it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, where it talks about God's word leading and guiding and directing our lives. What is going on? Excuse me, folks. The second is the indwelling presence of God's spirit. God lives within me. He is present within my life. And this morning I was talking to somebody and we're talking about, you know what? God doesn't always deliver us from the circumstances. But whatever the circumstances are, God's presence is there. And if I'm willing to be in fellowship with him and walk with him and depend upon him, I find his faithfulness. I find his presence. I find his peace. I find his joy. I find his encouragement. I find his strengthening. the God-given wisdom and guidance in our lives. You will not know because of it happening behind the scenes. But the number of hours that were spent in looking and praying and thinking and seeking God's guidance for the meeting that is to follow. 
and how God worked in the midst of it. James 1 says, anyone who lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives it without cost. We can talk about the God-given strength to deal with sin in our lives. When you feel that temptation to go and say, God, thank you that I died and was resurrected with Christ. Thank you that your spirit is in my life to guide and direct and to provide and to give the strength that I need. God's work that is evidenced in others of all of the thanksgiving that Paul talks about in his theology of thanksgiving, this is the greatest one. Almost every single epistle, he begins by thanking God for the work that God is doing in the people he is writing to. We can talk about God's provision for our daily life. Did you eat this morning? Did you have a car to drive here? Did you have heat in your home? Do you have money in a bank account? you're better off than about half of the world. We can talk about God's providential direction for our lives. and We can speak about God's invitation to be a part of his work, to be those that are ministers of God's reconciliation. We can talk about God's provision of all good things in our lives. We can talk about God's answers to specific prayers. One of the greatest things is to keep a prayer journal. To be able to remind it of how God has answered specific prayers in our lives. We give God thanks for the fellowship and support of God's people. Over and over again I hear people talking about how those in this body or in, in other places came alongside them and encouraged them the power of the gospel to change others. For the spread of the gospel worldwide, I'm sure there are many more. But these are the ones that I just thought of as I was getting ready for the message. But you know, there's another way that we praise God and we give thanks that is incredible if you think about it. We don't only praise God for what he did. We don't only praise God for what he's doing. We get to praise God for what he will do. Both temporally in my life that I know he will work things, all things out in my life according to his will and purpose. That I know tomorrow he will be faithful. That I know he will provide for the work that he seeks to accomplish. That I know that eternity is coming. And in the midst of loss and grief, there's a day of reconciliation that I might know that all of the promises of heaven and making things right and redeeming creation, all of that is true. So I can give God thanks, not just for what was, and not only for what is, but to know that there will be the giving of thanks to God for all of eternity. Now, when you put it all together, it looks something like this. God has been faithful in the past, theologically and personally. 
And when I begin to think about that, that encourages me and reminds me to be thankful now for what he's doing. That just as he was faithful then, he will be faithful now. He will be consistent now. The same God of the Old Testament is the same God that I worship. The God that resurrected Christ from the grave is the same God that is in my life. And so just as he was faithful after Hurricane Katrina and in my life in this time, in that time, in your life, as I think about that past faithfulness, it it feeds into the present sense that God will be faithful. But that past faithfulness also encourages me that what is yet to come will take place. That just as God was faithful to all his promises back then, he will be faithful to all of his promises in the future. Do you know how I know that? Because God fulfilled the greatest of all promises. That death would be conquered that sin would be forgiven, that his son would resurrect from the grave, ascend to the Father, and will again come back. But as I think about the future and I think about all that's about to come, that feeds back into my present sense of thankfulness. God, I know you will be faithful. God, I know that in the days to come, in the weeks to come, in the years to come, All of your promises will continue to be fulfilled. So I can give you thanks and praise even in the midst of the struggle, not because the struggle feels so good. That's masochism. But because I know that God is at work. And all of it results in this. This is Paul's theology. This is what Paul solidly wants us to understand. And we'll see it in just a moment. That when when I consider the past faithfulness of God, and I consider the present faithfulness of God, and I consider the future faithfulness of God, that the response of God's people is the bringing of a thanks offering. And in the New Testament, it's a living thanks offering. Psalm says it this way. Whoever presents a thank offering. By the way, what a thank offering was. You can look it up in Leviticus chapter 7. You can look it up at other passages in the scripture. It was an offering that was brought not for forgiveness, not to make things right, not as even fellowship necessarily for people. It was a way, it was a special offering involving bread and grains and meat. It was a way to come and say, God, I just want to express publicly my thanks to you. But you know what's so interesting? Notice in Psalm 50, you see what's connected with it? Whoever presents a thank offering honors me, God says. And then he connects it with, to whoever obeys my commands, I will reveal my power to deliver. Even in the Old Testament, they began to realize that a thanksgiving offering, a thanks offering, is not simply one event. It's not simply an act of giving this animal or bread. 
but it's to be reflected in how I live my life. The epitome of that, the apex of that in Paul's theology is found in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, where Paul writes, therefore, what's the therefore? Again, you know, you've heard it before. Whenever you see a therefore, you look to see why it's, what it's there for. And in some way, it's a summary. And Paul is saying, based on everything I have just written, what has he just written? He's written the theology of our relationship with God, past, present, and future. He looks at the past in Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 4, and he talks about how Christ came, and he was the one that paid the penalty for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He was the one that came to fulfill the covenant to Abraham, so that if Abraham had faith, and in the same way we have faith in what God accomplished, we may have a relationship with God. And Paul is developing the past aspects of the very new, covenant that we share with God. But then he deals with the present. When you begin reading in Romans chapter 5 through Romans chapter 8, it's about how we now live our lives in the power and in the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so we understand that We are no longer living a life to ourselves, but we're living a life to God. We understand that we have died with Christ, and therefore we are resurrected with Christ. And as we died with Christ in the past, we are to presently and future live in a way that reflects Christ in our lives. We read in Romans chapter 7 that, yes, even though we've struggled with sin, thanks be to God in Jesus Christ, we have victory now over the power of sin in our lives. We read in Romans chapter 8 that we are no longer to walk according to the flesh, but now we can walk according to the Spirit. And we read about the very presence of God in our lives and the power that it brings into our lives. And then he speaks about God's future faithfulness. In Romans 9 through 11, as he talks about the faithfulness of God to fulfill his covenant to the nation of Israel, who even though they rejected him, he will remain faithful to his promises. Past faithfulness, present faithfulness, future faithfulness. Therefore, here's the theology. Based on the completeness of the covenant of God and his faithfulness in our lives theologically and individually. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to do what? To offer your body as living thank offerings. Now, I know the word thank is not in there, but that is the only offering that this can be. He already talked about the peace offering. He already talked about the the offering for, for sin and for atonement. This is the thanksgiving offering. This is the offering that demonstrates that I am thankful to God for what he has done. And I want to demonstrate that gratitude for the incredibleness of his gift. And so what are we to do? We're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy 
and pleasing to God. This is just what would be expected in response, in worship, in response to the greatness of God's gift. And then he goes on to speak it more specifically. Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What is Paul saying? He's saying on the basis of our gratitude for what God did in the past, on the basis of our gratitude for what God is doing in our lives now, and on the basis of the gratitude for what God promises he will do in the future and into eternity, we should demonstrate it in the way that we live. We should avoid attitudes and actions that demonstrate ingratitude and pursue actions that Demonstrate gratitude. Now, I don't have time this morning. I've got about five minutes. So I'm not going to try to exegete Romans chapter 12 through Romans chapter 15. I'm not going to try to exegete all of that passage. But what Paul is saying is live a way that demonstrates gratitude. But there is one passage that encapsulates it completely. Where Paul takes his theology that is found, a theology of thanksgiving that is found in the entire book of Romans and boils it down to three verses. And what Paul declares is simply this. Our gratitude is proclaimed through a living thank offering a living thanksgiving. And the passage that encapsulates it is that Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. Paul takes all of Romans 12 through 15 and boils it down into three areas of focus in Colossians chapter 3. He basically says this, that a living thanksgiving, the gratitude in response to what God has done, is doing, and will do in our life, is demonstrated by how we treat God's family. Hopefully you kept your place there in Colossians. But if you look in Colossians, and as Paul is summarizing what it means to live out this thanksgiving, and I want you to notice how he puts together living it out and thanksgiving. He says, let the peace of Christ, the relational peace he's speaking about, rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And then notice what he adds on. And be thankful. One of the ways we demonstrate our thanks is by the way we treat one another, the way we treat his children. We don't have time this morning, but we can look at Mephibosheth. One of the the sons of of Solomon and how one of the sons of David and how Solomon came alongside and said, I want to praise the king. Who can I do it to? And they say, Here's Mephibosheth. 
you can praise and pour out your thanks to him in order to praise and thank his father. Beloved, the way we treat one another is a clear expression of how we live out our gratitude. But secondly, Paul goes on, and as you read that passage in the next verse, he goes on to say, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And notice the next phrase, with gratitude. One of the ways we demonstrate our gratitude to God is how we respond in the midst of worship, whether it be individual or even more importantly in this context, in the context of Colossians, how we do it corporately. Do I take this seriously? Do I value this? Do I understand this is an opportunity for this side to proclaim their thanksgiving and demonstrate it to this side? And this side to demonstrate, by the way, there are more on this side than that side. But this side to demonstrate their gratitude to this side. And for me and for you and back and forth, we proclaim God's faithfulness. And it encourages us. But there's one other way. And this is sort of an encapsulation. Gratitude is demonstrated by living a life that honors God. And that's the last verse in this section, in this summary. When he says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And here's the theology of thanksgiving giving thanks to God the Father through him. We show our gratitude to God by living a life that pleases him. Any child and parent understands this. We desire to our parents, and particularly as we mature, to demonstrate our gratitude by living in ways that please them. You know what I find interesting? It's so often we attempt to motivate obedience in a person's life through things like exhortation, you know, kind of wagging the finger. We try to motivate faithfulness and godliness through guilt and through pressure. How dare you? But what I find so interesting is Paul's theology of thanksgiving would say this. If you want to motivate somebody to holy living, teach them more and more and more about the incredible gifts and relationship and wonder of what God did, what God is doing, and what God will do in your life. Teach our children not just what are the, the, the ways we live in holiness, but teach them to have incredible gratitude 
over the amazing way God has shown his mercy and grace. As adults, as I seek to be more obedient to the Lord, as I seek to love God's people more, don't focus so much alone on what are the the rules that are listed. Oh, don't focus on that. Focus on the greatness of our God and his work and his gifts. And be motivated to please him by loving his children by proclaiming his worship and by seeking to live a life that pleases and honors him. We have so much to be thankful for and I just echo what Eric said last week. Take the time. Take the time to focus on that in your your meals together as a family. Talk about the things to give thanks for. In your personal devotions, your personal time of worship with the Lord, stop and give thanks to God for what he's doing. In our times of sharing, come prepared to talk about what God has done in your life and to give thanks. Because what motivates holiness, I believe, above all else is gratitude. And I believe that's Paul's theology of thanksgiving. So let's be thankful. Father, thank you for Paul's understanding of thanksgiving that comes from you. And may we be those people who in our lives seek to demonstrate our gratitude and thanks. Not just in words, but in the deeds. And how we love one another in how we praise you together and how we seek to live lives that are pleasing and honoring to you. Father, it begins in a relationship by accepting what your son has already accomplished for us. And as always, we invite anyone who is uncertain of their relationship with you to come and speak to me or someone else about how to know that. And Father, in all things, We seek to live a life that glorifies and honors you. And we pray it in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.